Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. Daniel continued, although you once considered yourself unimportant, haven't you become the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and then sent you on a mission and said, go completely destroy the sinful Amalekites. Fight against them until you have annihilated them. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul answered. I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agag of Amalek, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. The troops took sheep, goats, and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was set apart for destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Then Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than to sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and defiance is like the wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul answered Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the Lord's command and your words. Because I was afraid of the people, I obeyed them. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin and return with me so I can worship the Lord. For this guy, wow. Okay, so if you've ever read the Bible in front of people before, it's nerve-wracking, right? And then on top of that, you have words like Amalekites, and you're like, how do I say that, right? So I just want to say, Kyle, I am so proud of you, man, for getting up here and doing that. And when I was his age, there's no way that I could have done that. And uh, there was all kinds of reasons why. In fact, it's, it's what I want to talk about this morning. And we're, we're going to look at the life of Saul, who uh, is really a great example of somebody who dealt with fear. Have you ever dealt with fear before? If, if you've dealt with fear, just raise your hand. Even our kiddos, you've dealt with fears before. We're about to have the holiday where it's all about scary stuff, right? And I'm, I'm not talking about that scary stuff. I want to talk about the fears that we have about who we are. The fears that we have about who we are or about our person, about our personhood, it's, it's a little word that we call insecurities. We've been uh, in this series, it's called The Awe of God, and we're kind of loosely basing it on this book called The Awe of God by John Bevere. We have a few copies in the back if you would like to get one. It is like a devotional that has three to five minute long chapters that you can read every day with a scripture at the end. It's really, really good. And this week, he's talking about uh, a theme of irresistible holiness, but particularly, he starts with the fear of man, the fear of man. Now, when I say fear of man, I'm not talking about being afraid that some man's going to come and beat you up, right? I heard one pastor say, he goes, I'm not, I don't struggle with the fear of man. I struggle with the fear of woman. Do we have any husbands in the room? No, no. Okay. No husbands have a fear of woman. You better not act up later. You know what I'm saying? 
But it's, it's not the, the fear of, of physical harm. It's about the things that we struggle with on the inside that we call insecurities. And I, uh, I looked up the definition of insecurities in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and here's what it says. It's a state or feeling of anxiety, fear, or self-doubt, right? A state or a feeling of anxiety, fear, or self-doubt. Another was lack of dependability or certainty, or a lack of safety or protection. And this is the kind of fears that probably every single one of us in this room have felt. We have, we've dealt with fears on the inside, the insecurities that we have, and maybe it was when you were younger and somebody said that thing about you, or somebody said that thing to you, or, or your uncle, or your, your, your dad, or, or your mom, or the kid on the playground. And what I found is that those little things that uh, get said about us are often like little seeds that get planted into us, seeds of fear. And we kind of think that as we get older, that all that stuff's just going to go away, right? You'll outgrow it. But what I found is that those little seeds, they grow with us. And in fact, when you're an adult, those little seeds can become larger and larger and larger to where our insecurities, our fears about who we are can be so debilitating. They can really cripple our Lives. And so today I want to talk about the awe in our insecurities. The awe in our insecurities. One of the clearest examples that we have of the debilitating impact of insecurities and fears in the Bible is Saul. Not Saul of Tarsus that became the Apostle Paul that wrote a lot of the New Testament, but Saul, the first king of Israel. And I just want to look at some, some moments in his life together, and we're just going to kind of skim over them, and I'm just going to drop us into a few points, and I just want to look at the power of fear and insecurity in our lives. We're going to be in 1 Samuel. If you have a copy of Scripture you want to go and just kind of follow along, we're going to start in chapter 9. And here's, here's the, the point that I, I want to make before we dive in is this. We will not become the bold, courageous, faithful followers of Jesus that God meant for us to be if we allow our insecurities to dictate our lives. All right? We're going to see that as we look at Samuel. So we're introduced to Samuel in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, and here's what it says about him. There was a prominent man of Benjamin named Kish. Now, I don't know why we didn't think of that name when we were naming our children Kish. Son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Ephiah, son of a Benjaminite. Verse 2, he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man. There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. So here we meet Saul, and Saul is a guy that looks 
really impressive. He's taller than everybody. He's good looking. His tribe is the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin was a small tribe, but they were known for being experts in war experts with weapons. They were warrior-like. And so these guys had this sort of mystique about them, this tribe that was warrior-like, that knew how to wield bows and arrows and all the swords and things that they used at that time period. And so here's Saul, this impressive man from this, this tribe that has this mystique about it. And he is the child of a prominent father, a prominent father. Now that word prominent tells us that his dad was well known. He was probably well respected. And he might have been wealthy. He, he was probably very, very successful. And I, I'm just going to, this is Chris's world. This is not, the Bible doesn't tell us. This is just my mind, okay, is that maybe, just maybe, uh, Saul is growing up under the shadow of a prominent father. And maybe in that scenario, it gives us little space for insecurities to begin to grow inside of his heart. One day, Saul's, Dad is missing a few donkeys, and they're concerned about the donkeys, and so he uh, tells Saul and a servant, I want you to go, and I want you to find those donkeys and bring them back home, and so Saul sets out with his servant, and they are walking and searching all over the area, trying to find the donkeys, and like the Houston Astros in a bid for the American League Championship and the next run at the World Series, they totally struck out on their mission. I feel like that il illustration was just too soon for you guys. Like it just, <laughs> it just stung a little bit, didn't it? You're, you're feeling the pain right now. I know, me too. And so Saul and his servant, they cannot find these donkeys anywhere. And Saul's like, okay, look, my dad's gonna stop worrying about the donkeys. He's gonna start worrying about us. So like, we need to go back. And the servant says this, hey, look, there's a man of God and, and he is the, the, the one that he hears from God and whatever he says comes true. And why don't we go talk to him and see if he knows? So they talk back and forth and eventually they decide to go. And there was this man named Samuel, the, the one, the prophet, uh, that this book bears the name of, the prophet Samuel. And they go to Samuel. When they get to Samuel, it says that the Lord tells Samuel that this, this young man, this good looking, tall, you know, impressive young man is the next, or the, I'm sorry, the first king of Israel. Samuel, he sets up this whole meal and, and he anoints Saul and Saul becomes the first king. And here's what we see in uh, 1 Samuel 10. This is verse 21 and 22. It says that finally Saul son of Kish, was selected, but when they searched for him, they could not find him. So this is the day where they're going to announce it to everyone, like he's the one that God's chosen to be the first king. By the way, imagine being the first king of a nation that's never had a king before. I mean, can you just imagine what kind of insecurities could be stirred up by stepping into a role that's never been filled before? There's no, there's no predecessor to, you know, to learn from. There's no handbook on how to be the first king of Israel. He's just gonna, he's just been chosen. 
and he steps into this role, and they're announcing it to everyone, and it's kind of like American Idol or The Voice, and they've got all the tribes there, and, and they, they begin to kind of narrow them down. Okay, now we want the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, now we want this clan from the tribe, and then Saul's family, and then finally it comes Saul. They're going to announce that it's Saul, and here's what we see in 1 Samuel 10. But when they searched for him, they could not find him. They again inquired of the Lord. They start praying, where is he? Has the man come here yet? And the Lord replied, the Lord replied, there he is hidden among the supplies. Wow. Do you think maybe, just maybe, Saul is in a state or feeling of anxiety, fear, or self-doubt. He's hiding among the luggage on the big day where they're going to announce to everyone that he's the first king and he is riddled with insecurity. And here's something that we need to learn is that People who might look like they have it all together on the outside oftentimes are, are, are struggling with things on the inside. And if you're someone here, and maybe you struggled with some fears about who you are, some insecurities, I want you to know that you're not alone. You're not the first person. You're not the only person. And I'm praying that today might give you just a little bit of a, a, a handhold or maybe like we, we sang about just a breaking of the chain. There's power to break every chain in Jesus. And so Saul is hiding among the luggage. Here's the first lesson that we learn about our insecurities is that our insecurities cause us to hide from our God-given assignments. And so if you're feeling those things, I just want you to know, like, you just might miss out on some things that God has for you because you're listening to that voice of fear on the inside about who you are, those little words that were spoken to you or about you. And here's what I think is so important for us to hear today is that God wants to deliver you from that. He wants to speak a better word over you because he doesn't want us to miss the assignments that he has for us. As the story of Saul goes on, there's a, a key battle, and this particular battle is a battle against the Philistines. We fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 13, and this is a, a major battle in a sense that Israel is not a, it's not a huge nation, and they don't have a huge army, and not only that, they don't have weapons. They have like shovels and picks and rakes and farm equipment that they have tried to convert into weapons, and they line up on this day of battle, and here are the Philistines, and the, the scripture says that there are thousands of chariots with horses, right? There's thousands of soldiers. And it says that the, the number of the soldiers, it's like as numerous as the stars in the sky, meaning this little band of people holding shovels is looking out and they're seeing this vast army all around them. And they begin to have feelings or a state of anxiety, fear, or self-doubt. It says that 
Saul, however, was at Gilgal. This is in verse 7. And all his troops were gripped with fear. Samuel had told Saul to wait. He's going to make a sacrifice. He's going to pray. Because when you have a tiny little army and you don't have weapons and you don't have much, what you really need is God, right? And Saul's no dummy. He knows we need God right now. And so here's what happens in verse 8. He waited seven days for the appointed time that Samuel had set, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the troops were deserting him. This is the thing about these prophet-type people is they're always running late. You know what I'm saying? He's running late. You know, he's, he got busy. He got hung up at the house. He's coming, but he's just coming late. In verse 10, I'm sorry, in verse 9, so Saul said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, and then he offered the burnt offering, meaning we need God here, like let's get this thing started, Samuel, he'll get here when he gets here. In verse 10, just as he finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel arrived, so Saul went out to greet him, and Samuel asked, what have you done? Saul answered, when I saw that the troops were deserting me, and you didn't come within the appointed days, and the Philistines were gathering at Michmash. I thought, the Philistines will now descend on me at Gilgal, and I haven't sought the Lord's favor. Like, I need God. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. He rushes it. Verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, you have been foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. Do you hear this? It's like Saul has an opportunity and he misses it. In verse 14, but now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. See, the second thing that we learn about our insecurities is that they cause us to miss God's timing. If we're so ruled and dictated by the fears that we have about our own selves, about those little things that were sown into us, those seeds of fear that were sown into us, when we're dictated by those things, we either will move too fast or we will move too slow when it comes to the things that God is calling us to do. We will miss his timing. And in Saul's case, that meant he was going to miss God's blessing. Lastly, we get to this part that Kyle read about in 1 Samuel 15. It's another battle. And this is with that hard word to say, the Amalekites, okay? And Saul, again, he's there. God has told him, I want you to go. God has, has set up this day, this appointed day of judgment because of how they had treated the people of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. And this is the time where God's going to deliver that judgment to them. And he tells him, I want you to go up and I want you to wipe them out completely. Everything has to go. And Saul, they leads that, that army into battle, and they begin to win. And when they win, they begin to change the plan just a little bit. It's like, man, the cattle here are primo. It's nice, right? 
And they see some of the nicer things. They see the king and they're like, wouldn't it be better if we just like made a whole spectacle of this thing and we'll take him back with us, right? And so they begin to change the plan. And the reason why that Paul tells us, we saw it in verse 24, Samuel asked him, why did you do this? And Saul answers Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the Lord's command in your words because I was afraid of the people and I obeyed them. Again, Saul is hung up with fear, anxiety, self-doubt. And he's afraid of people, fear of man. Now, have you ever kind of obeyed, but kind of not? Kids, yeah, I have. You've kind of obeyed, but kind of not. You know, mom says, don't you ruin your dinner with those cookies right now, right? Put the cookies away. And so you take three cookies out of the package, close it and put it away. And you technically put the cookies away, but you got three in your hand. You know what I'm talking about? Don't do that because Pastor Chris just gave you that illustration or I'm giving you bad ideas. Don't do that. When you kind of obey, but you kind of don't. And see, we learn something from the life of Saul that partial obedience is actually disobedience. That when God looks out over us and he sees our lives and he says, I want you to do this and we kind of do it, but we kind of don't. It's just as if we had never done it. It's disobedience. And what they did, and it's what we often do, is they spiritualized their disobedience. They said, but we were bringing these things to offer them to God. We were going to sacrifice all these primo animals to God. We, we disobeyed you for you. And they spiritualized their disobedience. Now, this still happens today. John Bevere in the book, he shares some stories about a young girl who got pregnant before she was married. And she said that Jesus held her hand the whole way as she was getting an abortion. And John Bevere said, what Jesus was holding your hand? Which one? When, when the woman that was known for being a, a, a devout follower of Jesus talked to him and said that Jesus told her to leave her husband. And he said, why? I just fell out of love with him. He didn't cheat on me. He wasn't, you know, he, there was no infidelity. He was a great, he was actually a godly man, but we just fell out of love. And he was like, which Jesus led you to do that? You see, we, we can spiritualize our disobedience and we can say, I'm disobeying God for God. And we do it a lot of times because of our own fears, our own fears. The third thing we learn is that insecurities cause us to disobey God and seek man's approval. And here's the big aha of Saul's life. And this has been a big aha in my life, 
is that the very place where you feel the most insecure, the most insecurities, is the very place where you are vulnerable to your greatest infidelities. Did you hear what I just said? The place where you have the most insecurities is the, actually the very same place where you are vulnerable to your greatest infidelities. Because what Satan likes to do is he likes to amplify that little voice that was spoken to you at whatever time period in your life, and he wants to amplify that thing and make it like a scream in your mind so that whenever you're facing these situations, you will compromise. You will miss the moment that God has for you. You, you, will, you will miss the assignment that he has for you, or you will disobey him and spiritualize your disobedience. It is so important for us that we begin to understand how in the world do we find freedom in the places where we feel the most insecure? What, is, what does the gospel have to say to that. And first of all, I just want you guys to know that when it comes to having insecurities, I'm the first one to stand up here and say, I'm guilty. I've let those, those voices amplify in my mind. And I bet some of you have too. And it's the definition of the awe of God that really begins to help us. And here's, here's what I want you to hear. It's this, the awe of God is not being afraid of God and that you're afraid to come to him. The awe of God is being afraid to be apart from him. It's, it's when you are scared to death of doing life without him. It's like, no, I know that I need him more than anything. And so we, we begin to take this, this fear of the Lord, this awe of God where we say, Lord, I, I, if, if, if I lose you, I lose everything. We begin to take that and we begin to look at our insecurities and say, no, 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 you, you be quiet because I will fear the Lord. I will honor him. So let, let's just get really practical. Let's get some handles on this. And there's two things that I, that I, that I want you to hear. Samuel told Saul that because of his disobedience, he was taking the kingdom away from him and that God had found somebody that was a man after his own heart. And y'all know that that refers to the King David, right? King David was an amazing king. He wrote the book of Psalms or a lot of the Psalms in, in the book of Psalms. David was amazing, but did, did you know that David had some fears too? David had this little thing with a lady by the name Bathsheba, and he was really afraid about his, his uh, reputation. And so he ordered that her husband be sent to the front lines. And so even David fell short, but there was somebody who came from the line of David who had a prominent father. The most prominent father the world has ever known. It was somebody who, when it came time for his big day, for, for everyone to hear the announcement that this was God's chosen one, he wasn't found hiding among the luggage, but he was the one who walked into the waters of baptism, and John the Baptist baptized him, and it says that the Holy Spirit came down upon him in the form of a dove, and a voice thundered and said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. This one, 
he, uh, he didn't miss the assignment that God had for him. This one, when, when all the people around him were telling him that what God had called him to do was too much and that he should, he should abort the mission, even his closest followers were saying, don't do it, don't, don't, don't go there. He looked him in the eye and said, I must follow my father. And you know which one I'm talking about. Jesus the perfect king. And when it comes to dealing with our insecurities, the first thing that you have to do is you have to trust in Jesus. Number one, he did it perfectly because you and I haven't. The scripture says that he substituted himself for us, meaning he took all of our failures, all of our faults, all the things that we've done because we've been listening to this voice of fear, this voice of insecurity, right? All the things that we've done, all the moments that we've missed, all the assignments that, that, that we missed, all, all the times that we sought man's approval instead of God's approval. He took all those things upon himself and he went to a cross in obedience to the Father and he died for us. He bore them for us. And then he took all that perfect righteousness and he put it upon us. So we don't start in the negative column. Amen? We start with the righteousness of Jesus. We literally, it's not, it's a foreign alien righteousness that he cloaks us with and we, we couldn't earn it. We couldn't deserve it. We couldn't do enough good things to get it. Jesus had to give it to us purely by grace. We must begin to trust in him. It's through Jesus, the one who had no insecurities, that we begin to hear the voice of the Father in the gospel. And it tells us, in fact, if we can go back to that definition of, the, of, of um, insecurities. Zach, can you find that for me, the, the definition of insecurities? If you can go back to that. It's like he says, the gospel says, if you will stop depending or finding your certainty in your own self and in your own ability, in your, in your own accomplishment or, or smartness or whatever you're depending on, right? If you will stop doing that and you will look to the dependability and certainty of Jesus, it, it will flip our insecurities upside down. Or if it says, look, if you're looking to, to figure out some protection or safety in your life by seeking man's approval and trying to like dodge all those inner feelings that you have on the inside, right? Here's what you do is you actually have to stop doing that. You have to look to the safety and the protection of God, what he can give you. And it flips our insecurities upside down. We have to trust in Jesus as our sufficiency and our savior. But here's something that my pastor used to say. God loves you just as you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Meaning, if, you have, if, you have, if you're full of insecurities right now, you need to come to Jesus and nothing, that, that is not a problem for him. He can handle that, okay? 
But what he wants to do is he wants to begin to change us on the inside. Um, if I could be really vulnerable with you, when I start to feel those insecurities, those little voices in my mind, I begin to uh, declare the truth over them. And I begin to say things to myself like this. I will fulfill every plan that God has for me in Jesus' name. Right? I will fulfill every plan that God has for me in Jesus' name. I'm not of those who shrink back, but I am of those who are faithful. That's according to scripture. My God gives me everything I need to fulfill every plan he has for me, every calling he has for me. I will not fall or fail, but I will rise with Christ Jesus. I will not be ashamed, for my hope is in the Lord. And what I'm doing, it's the second thing, is I'm talking to myself. You need to start talking to yourself. Do we have any people who talk to themselves at home? You, yeah, yeah, you talk to yourself. You find yourself walking around the house mumbling to yourself, and your wife's like, what? And you're like, I wasn't talking to you, okay? I was talking to me. <laughs> but here's the thing. I don't know what you talk to yourself about, <laughs> but I hope you're talking to yourself about what God has already said. You need to say what God says. You need to say what God says. God's promises are voice activated. We need to begin to say the things that God has said because you need a voice louder than the voice on the inside that is full of fear and insecurity and self-doubt. Amen? So you have to begin to say what God says. You're taking lies and you're replacing them with the truth of God's word. And so we take the scriptures and we begin to talk to ourselves. And here's what I want to say. This is what happens in our culture. We live in a culture of empathy. And when someone tells us their insecurities, our hearts go out to them and we say, oh, I know. I feel it too. I know exactly what you're talking about. I know, it's, I know what you're going through. And we empathize with them. But in our empathy, we begin to coddle our insecurities. And what we need to do is we need to crucify them. Amen? The second thing is that we, uh, we begin to rehearse our insecurities. And what we need to do is actually repent of our insecurities because we have believed something other than what God has said. And you deal with them through repentance. We turn away from these things and we put our trust in the Lord. And then we rehearse the truth. We talk to ourselves. Trust in Jesus and talk to yourself. Amen? I'm gonna read these over you. Could you, could you bow your heads with me? And if you could just open up your heart into a receiving posture. And I just wanna read these declarations of God's truth over you. You will fulfill every calling and assignment that God has for you through Jesus Christ. You are not of those who shrink back, but of those who are faithful through Jesus Christ. Your God gives you everything you need to fulfill his plan for your life. 
You will not fail or fall because of the resurrection power of Jesus. You will rise with him. You will not be ashamed for your hope is in the Lord. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.